Amen. You can be seated. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who will find it are few. One of my favorite poems of all time is, is by Robert Frost, and it's called The Poem That The Road Not Taken. Maybe you're familiar with this, but the last stanza in this poem says this, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Jesus, in his conclusion, begins this conclusion as he begins to, to land the plane here. Does so in a very remarkable way. And first, the talking about very, or these two very different gates. And much like in Robert Frost's poem, describes one of these gates as being the one that is most frequently traveled. The one that many are going on. The one that many are following. And yet there is a, another gate, there is another entryway that very few are going through it. And very few are walking in its path. And yet, like the poem, which path you are on this morning, which gate you have walked through makes all of the difference. And yet it is an eternal difference. It's the most significant decision. It is the most significant choice. It is the most significant way in which you and I live. In verse 13, it starts out by saying this, enter by the narrow gate. In the, the Greek here for that term enter, it, it carries with it a sense of great urgency. Jesus is demanding, he's saying, I have said all of this. And it's in this language here, he, he is saying this, I've said all of this, but yet there is now a response. There is now a choice. There is now a decision. There is something that must be done with all of the truths of the Sermon on the Mount. It comes down now that you have heard this gospel, respond. And so in this demanding language, he is saying enter. It is a, a command. He is saying there is only one way to enter the kingdom of God. And it is through this narrow gate. Notice where everyone starts. Outside of a gate. Whether it's the broad gate or the narrow gate. All of us start outside of the city. All of us start in our depravity and sin. We are separated people from God. We are separated from his kingdom. And yet Jesus says, I am the narrow gate. All paths, no matter what secular religious pluralism tells you, do not lead to the same God. Only Jesus leads to God. See, brothers and sisters, the world is not becoming less religious. Do you know that? Atheism is not growing. People are becoming more and more religious yet without Jesus. The world is not becoming more agnostic. It is not becoming more and more filled with the Bill Mars and the Stephen Hawkings. It is becoming more and more spiritual. 
is becoming more and more religious, void of the gate. Void of the specific gate. Void of the only gate that truly leads to life, and that is Jesus. In John chapter 10, verse 7, it says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Later in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out of fine pasture. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. And that man, the man, Christ Jesus. See, the crowd stands in community outside of these two gates. A broad gate, a big gate, and a narrow gate. And yet... Jesus is saying to step through the narrow gate, you must do so individually. You must be stripped of everything. You can bring nothing with you. You cannot bring your desires, your status, your possessions. It is so narrow that one must walk through it alone, leaving their very friends and their family. Let us not forget that Jesus says, if you will truly follow after me, Your love for me must be so much greater than that even of your family that it appears as though you hate your family. What an unpopular message for us today. But Jesus says we must step through it like a turnstile. If you've ever been to a big city or to an amusement park, they have a turnstile and you can't walk through it with a bunch of people. You must walk through it alone. You simply will not fit. It requires that you not just feel guilty of your sin, but rather that you and I, that we hate our sin, that we leave behind our pursuits to pick up his mission. It is so narrow that you must bow to step in through, revealing the humility that it takes for us to stand before an old, very holy God. Being from South Central Kentucky, maybe... Like me, one of your favorite places is Mammoth Cave. And inside of the the basic tour of Mammoth Cave, we've all been to Fat Man Squeeze. You cannot walk two by two by Fat Man Squeeze. You can't pack a bunch of shopping bags with you through Fat Man Squeeze. You can't carry a bunch of boxes. You can't travel in a group. But you must fall in line one by one, single person by single person, through the tight squeeze of that space. Enter in. It is an imperative command. Every one of us here today is going to respond to this truth. Everyone. You cannot not respond. Either you will walk through it or you won't. What Jesus requires is more than standing close to the gate. Jesus requires more than you believing that the gate exists. Jesus requires more than you knowing how the gate was even built. Jesus requires that you, you brother, you sister, you person, walk through the narrow gate. You may marvel at this gate's beauty, 
yet you may not know Jesus. Jesus will say, deny yourself to take up your cross and to follow me. Why? Because Jesus is the narrow gate. May we not forget the rich young ruler, but may we remember him who had done it all. And Jesus alludes it. You have done it all. And yet what Jesus required of him was that he would give up and deny himself of his riches and his possessions. And yet he would not do so. So he turned and went away. In verse 13, the word narrow there is a specific word meaning in the Greek to groan. It actually carries with it, if you were to look at the Greek word and you you write it out, it actually has within the word itself the word agony. It means to be pressed. It means to be crushed. It means to be under pressure. I mean, that's when you step on a beetle on the sidewalk. Why does that sucker die? Pressure has been crushed. And so Jesus is is saying that that you're groaning, that when you step through this narrow gate, that it is is a pressure cooker. It is an an agonizing step. It is a a desperate move. That There's this literally feeling. If you've ever been in a tight spot, haven't you ever winced? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you are under the pressure of being in a tight spot. Tight squeeze. It's a a place of of great difficulty. In Luke chapter 13, verses 23 through 24, Jesus said, and somebody asked him a question. I don't know if you've ever asked this. It's been a question that I have had. Someone said to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And how does Jesus respond? And he said to them, 24, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For I tell you, you will seek to enter. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to agonize to agonize over it, to to reach out, to want. See, Jesus is declaring that we must enter a battle, that we must declare war to enter through this. Jesus is calling his people to, to strain to get through the gate. I don't know if you've ever lifted weights. I have once, a long time ago. And it was never the first rep that hurt. It was always the last one. And if you've ever lifted weights before, and you see a lot of ridiculous people in there using machines in ways that they're not supposed to, they're barely breaking a sweat. We even have gyms now where you can't grunt, or they kick you out, which is ridiculous. Because if you're not grunting, you aren't lifting. 
a man or a woman who goes to the gym does it in such a way to get to the last rep. It is the last rep, the extra rep, that literally leads to the physical change, not the first one. You do all of the other ones to get to the agonizing rep, the rep that causes rips and tears and even pain, and yet, what does it do in return? It builds the muscle. Striving through the narrow door is a lifelong, all-day, everyday calling. Brothers and sisters, may we not be confused. This is every moment of every day, every thought, every word. I heard J.D. Greer this week say this in an illustration. He said, you know, if you have a, a faithful husband, right, who for 365 days is faithful, but every year he gets one to two hours to live as a single man. Would you call him faithful? No. And yet so many people are living this life claiming to be followers of Jesus who are, who are saying, man, we, we live like this. We're, we're moral. We, we, we protest Target. And yet other aspects of their lives do not reflect those truths. It is ridiculous to God. To think that we can be faithful in all of this, but in this one area, in this area, I, I'm claiming that Jesus is Lord of my life, but he is not Lord over everything of my life. And Jesus, in this conclusion this morning, is being extremely serious to these listeners. It is every moment of every thought of every word. Jesus does not conclude his sermon with an emotional story like we as preachers so often like to do. He concludes the Sermon on the Mount with a serious call to action. To walk through the narrow gate is intense. Paul builds on this illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 in describing an athlete who's agonizing to finish the race or the Christian who fights the good fight of faith in 1 Timothy 6, 12. See, many people, even in this room, are claiming salvation based on nostalgia and not Jesus. John Piper said this, One of the greatest temptations is to keep us from fulfilling what Jesus calls us to do. Is that we will grow weary in the battle and look back on how easy life was before we started to follow Him. Once we have entered the gate, brothers and sisters, notice what Jesus says. He's going to tell us in this passage that not only is the gate narrow, but the way is narrow. And if anything that we can see in this picture of what Jesus is saying is that the, actually after we step through the narrow way, that the way gets more and more and more narrow. There's more pressure. There's more difficulty in following Jesus as a mature believer than a new Christian. Yet the sign of true salvation is the perseverance that ends 
that is and lies in believers. That's what makes the gate so narrow. Because as it continues to be narrow upon us, it keeps us straight. See, brothers and sisters, a lot of people are not counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. They're basing their belief now on some choice they made as a five-year-old or some prayer they made as a college student. About, they can think about times and seasons in their relationship with Jesus where they were more passionate about God. They were more passionate about Jesus in this season than they are in their current season. We call this testimony service. We allow people to stand up, and what do they do? We give a testimony, and we tell you about all the horrific things that we used to do outside of Jesus. But then one day we prayed a prayer, we came to an altar, we had some experience with Jesus, and now we're walking with Jesus. And yet, not to say that those things aren't true for everyone, but the question is, is what is the testimony of this week for your life? If you can't share the gospel in this week of your life, then you're basing a relationship with Jesus based on something that you had in the past instead of something that you are experiencing in the now. See, when following Jesus becomes difficult, we are tempted to look back like Lot's wife. We'll start to crave our lives before following Jesus. We will become jealous of those not fighting. Not striving we become jealous of those who are living their lives based on their desires. We, we will become jealous of those who can just miss church whenever they want because it's Sunday and they need an extra Saturday. We'll become jealous of people who are living their lives because of pleasures or because of however their conscience leads, that they can just go and do that. I don't know about your struggle, but I, I can, that is my struggle often. I will become jealous of just, man, however people want to live their lives, just... Go and do it. And yet, Jesus is calling us not only to walk through the narrow gate, but to walk the narrow way. Like many of the Israelites, we become weary in the desert, don't we? Why is God doing this? He seems to be leading us in circles. We thought that there was going to be a straight path and an easy road to the finish line. And yet there are all of these ups and downs. There are all of these both blessings but also difficulties that even as we've been seeing in our culture in the moment of celebration that people can lose their lives, in the moment of vacation, you can watch your son be eaten. All the while wondering, what is God doing in this process? What is God doing in this midst of wandering around in the wilderness? And like many of the Israelites, we can become weary of the desert. We become weary of the narrowness. We become 
weary of the fight. We become weary of the war. And, and, and we prefer to be back in Egypt and be slaves instead of being heading toward the promised land, even if Jesus is taking a different path than we would go. No one, Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. God does not command us to do something then kicks his feet back to see if we are obedient. Instead, God walks with us every step of the way. And as it gets more and more narrow, we can point to what God requires. And yet he gives us the strength to be able to achieve that. Jesus not only is the narrow gate, but he is the narrow way in which he walks alongside of us. He defeats us. He reconciles us to God through his resurrection and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, the disciples say this, says that when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. See, brothers and sisters, it is, as Jesus would say, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, God's narrowness provides boundaries for his people. Like I've told you many times before, it is like a train that is left upon the tracks. Upon those tracks, it can see the world. But as soon as that train flies off of those boundaries, off of those tracks, people die. These boundaries, these, these ways of living, this narrowness is not to uh, cause us to suffocate. But they are truly caused to give us freedom. But they are specific. That there is a narrowness that God has called you to. That God has called me to. That if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have stepped through that narrow gate, then there is a way to live no matter what culture tells you and I. God, Jesus continues in this passage when he says what he he compares it we he, he shows us a narrow gate but then he shows us a very different gate he says for wide is the gate and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many i don't know about you but we are a people that is prone to love comfort and ease aren't we we're constantly looking for the easiest pathway to success we're, we're told to work smarter not harder when when gazing at the difficulty of of traveling through the narrow gate we will often look at our options yes we could we could go up this way but it'd be much easier if we'll go this way. We often talk about this. I was an outdoor rec major at one time, and we would talk about trails. And a lot of times trails will, they weave back and forth. The easiest 
direction is to go from point A straight up to point B. And yet when you cut trails, you cut them in a zigzag motion to make it easier on the traveler. And one of my professors would say this all the time. He's like, don't ever cut a trail. Don't ever, if if it zigzags up the mountain, don't cross the trail because then you'll start making a pathway where there's not a pathway. And yet Jesus is is not calling us to the ease of life. Jesus is calling us to narrowness, but yet he says that there is a way that is much easier, that is much more comfortable. That if if we look, if you just imagine right now that we have a small little door over in this section and we have a huge door over here and you're trying to get out of this room, how many of us would take the smaller room? When we think about a terrace coming into a nightclub and people trying to flee it, what is the difficulty of people getting out? Small doors. If there's a gaping door, man, this is much, much easier to go out this pathway than it is to go through that smaller pathway. We want the, the, the gate that is more accessible. Jesus even says of the narrow gate that it is difficult for people to find. This gate is wide. This gate is broad. Instead of one person entering at a time, what does the Bible tell us? Mass groups can enter this gate at a time. They can walk through it. It seems like a no-brainer to us. It's easy to see. It's easy to find. You're not squished. Think about our lives. Brothers and sisters, we gravitate toward what is easy. We gravitate what is popular from where we live to what you're going to eat today, even to what you're going to wear. Must be extremely careful in looking at this passage this morning. I've grown up in the church. My entire life, I've never had a season, even when I wasn't a Christian, where I wasn't in church. And I've heard this passage talked about a lot, over and over and over and over again. And yet, I was reminded this week of how often we misinterpret this idea of a narrow gate and a wide gate. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus here in this passage, I think that normally when we start thinking about the big gate and the narrow gate, that that we, brothers and sisters, that we begin to think about, all right, so the, the wide gate is the atheist. The wide gate is the agnostic. The wide gate is, is you know, the, the, the people who are partying last night, the people who aren't at church this morning, the, the people who are selling meth, the people who are uh, immoral in their relationships, the people who abuse people, who murder people, who, who, who thieve. And, and so as a kid, even growing up and hearing this passage, I would often think, it's like, man, I am very much on the narrow path because I am not that. It's easiest for us to sit here and to go, man, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the crazy people. He's talking about like the real simple, scary, dirty people out there. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. See, I think the aha moment here that that we must understand where we're looking at it contextually to what Jesus has been doing and what Jesus is going to do here in his conclusion is that Jesus is not talking about the wild, sinful, girls gone wild people in this passage who are going through the wide gate. That is not who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying this, that if there was a sign on the wide gate and on the narrow gate, that both of those signs would say, heaven this way. Heaven through this gate. Both gates would point to the good life. Both gates would point to salvation. Both gates would point to God. Both gates would point to heaven. And yet, the narrow gate is the only one that leads to God in its actual destination. That's why I believe that this is one of the most frightening passages in all of Scripture. It's because Jesus, in this passage, is not talking about the irreligious. Jesus is talking about the religious. Jesus is saying the Baptists are, are, are going through the wide gate. The Methodists are going through the wide gate. The non-denominational, which is now a denomination, is going through the wide gate. The Pentecostals are going through the wide gate. The religious people are going through the wide gate. And yet the narrow gate is over here. And very few will find it. Very few, even more than that, will walk through that gate. But the religious church folk, the religious people, the people who are claiming to know Jesus, as many of them are walking through the wide gate, and that gate leads to destruction. What has been Jesus been doing this entire time? He's comparing his way to the way of the Pharisees, a religious way. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus is speaking to the most religious group of people probably in the history of humanity. It's a religion. He's talking about people who are going through the wide gate to talk about God, who who talk about Jesus. He's talking about people who talk about the Holy Spirit, who who talks about sin, talks about heaven. He is talking about there are people who are on their way to destruction who pray, who attend worship gatherings, who go to missional community groups. Jesus is talking about people walking through this wide gate that serve the poor, that don't cuss, that don't drink, that don't smoke, that don't chew, that don't watch bad things on television, that don't drive too fast or fly faster than their guardian angel can go. Whatever. Jesus is talking about those people. Jesus is talking about us. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, he says, There's a way that seems right to man, but in its end is the way to death. This is the path of easy believism. This is the path of nominal Christianity by being Christian by name only. Brothers and sisters, this is is popular Christianity, especially in America, where becoming a Christian doesn't cost you anything. 
John Piper said it. It is true, there are few people who are driven away by God by their pain, but more are lured away by their pleasures. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus is standing up. He's like, they've heard lots of sermons. They've heard lots of ways. And yet, we, Jesus is saying, no, there is a specific way. There is a narrow way. There is a narrow gate. Jesus is speaking, especially to an American culture where we, we consider evangelism by simply getting people to answer yes to some questions and, and repeating a prayer and declaring that they are saved. We've created a culture where people have been told by their parents, by their pastors and their friends that they, they are saved simply because at one time they repeated a canned prayer and yet there has been no change in these people's lives. Dr. Moore wrote a story recently. He was talking about him being a young kid growing up in church and he didn't know much but that they would go door-to-door evangelism and that him and this guy, they had these tracks and, and they were out sharing the gospel with people and they came across this person this person really didn't want to have anything to do with the gospel and what they were trying to say to him so the man just handed him a card said flip it over hey I want you to read this prayer on the back of the card and so this non-christian wants nothing to do with this reads the back prayer on this track out loud Dr. Moore and that man got into the car and as they were driving away he says well we can count that one declaring that that person was saved simply because they said some prayer because they were asked. This is what we call American Christianity. And yet it's not biblical Christianity. It's, it's a claim of Christianity without repentance. It's Christianity that if we have more in a good bucket than in the bad, then you get to go to heaven. It's Christianity where you can claim the belief in Christ and yet there is no obedience. It's, it, or, or little obedience or wrong obedience. It is Christianity where you can claim to be a follower of Jesus and not love his bride. It's a Christianity where you can, uh, without being born again, it is Christianity that justifies sin. It is Christianity without submission to Jesus. It is Christianity that claims to know Jesus but does not know his word. It is Christianity that is asked to provide all, for, or asking God to provide all of our wants while stealing God and how we steward our money or his money. It's Christianity where you can invite Jesus to join into your plans. It is Christianity without denying or without a cross or without a war. It is Christianity that fits into you and I's mode. And what's even worse to this is that we have created American Christianity based on consumer systems that you can find a church in every city that will affirm what it is that you believe about Jesus and his word. No matter the sin, no matter what you believe, you can find people who claim to follow Jesus and will gather with you. That's why we have nudist churches. They exist. Don't Google it. That's why you have churches where people sit around and smoke marijuana and literally sing praise courses and believe they see Jesus. I bet they do. That's why you can have people who are living horrific, 
not God-centered, ungospel-centered lives who can be pastors and preachers and promote sin rampantly. That's why we can have people who are promoting, claiming to be followers of Jesus, and yet they're promoting lifestyles that the gospel clearly states is not narrow. It is claiming to have an, it is claiming to have an encounter with God, Almighty God, and yet there be no change. I heard Paul Wasser. If you've ever heard Paul Wasser, you'll think you're not a Christian every time the man preaches. I would encourage you to Google him. Paul Wasser, I heard him use this as an illustration one time. He said, imagine just for a moment, it was, I'll use it in our context, that it was 9.30, it was time for us to start, and it was time for me to start preaching. And time goes by, and time goes by, and I'm not here. And 9.45, 10 o'clock shows up, and I, I come running in the back door, and I come up here, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, sorry I was late. Um, I was helping Laura get cash out of the truck, and... I stepped out into the road and I got hit by a Mack truck. So I'm running a little behind. Now, if you're in the crowd that day and a man has just declared to you that he got hit with a Mack truck, you would deem two things. One, either this dude is a liar or he has been greatly deceived. And yet, brothers and sisters, there are many people who are claiming to have had an unbelievable experience with the Creator God, the Creator of all things, Almighty God, the one who has knitted people together in their mother's womb, the one who has hung every star, every moon on its axis that knows the galaxies beyond the galaxies beyond the galaxies, and they are claiming to have had an encounter with this God, and yet there is no change whatsoever. And so the truth is, either those people are liars or they are greatly deceived. They're greatly deceived. If I got hit by a truck, you would know it. I'd be a mangled body laying out there, probably dead. And yet people are claiming to know this and to be a part of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, people, this is not Christianity. This is not following Jesus. Mark Dever once preached a sermon at Together for the Gospel that was amazing. I would encourage you again to Google that. And the title of the sermon alone is gut-wrenching. It was this, False Conversions, the Suicide of the Church. See, if you can hear my voice today, I want you to know this. The hardest people to reach are the people who are claiming to be Christians. The hardest people to hear the gospel are people who sit in church. The hardest people to reach are people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, and we've created a system that enhances false conversions. Where we love to tell people how many people we've baptized, where we love to get on social media and type in, man, this many people got saved. Do you know that for sure? No. We, we love to do that. We love, I don't know about you, but I've been in services where it was like, man, all right, everybody repeat this prayer after me. Everybody bow your, it's Baptist, right? Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. 
Is there anybody out there that's not a Christian? Raise your hand. I see that hand, and you say you saw a hand even if you didn't see one, just to help spur along people to raise their hands. And you tell mass people, man, pray this prayer. If you pray this prayer, you are saved. And that is not the scripture. Is God anti-prayer? Does God use prayer in the salvific process? Yes, I'm sure that he does that. But, but claiming and declaring that people are saved when they clearly are not or that we don't know is extremely scary. And yet we've put in these express lanes to get as many people saved as possible without doing the diligence of disciple making and walking alongside with them and asking them, are you sure? Count the cost. This is serious. And yet, even while I speak, I want you to know, even as I'm saying this this morning, I'm wrestling with this idea of even here at Mission Church that many of you do not believe this to be true. That it's not important to you. Jesus is speaking to Mission Church. Jesus is speaking to Eric Baker. Jesus is speaking to each one of us. This is a hard sermon. I get it this morning. If people had really known that we were talking about this, I can understand why they didn't show up. Because we don't believe it's us. We don't believe it's us. And, and guess what? These people did not believe that it was him. Look in verse 28 of chapter 7. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I mean, they're freaking out. What is this man? What is this rabbi saying? I can't believe. He's, doesn't he know we're First Baptist Mission? We're the church. We're Christians. My daddy was a preacher. I've got some certificate they gave me from LifeWay that says the date I got baptized on it. Walk an aisle, sign a card, repeat a prayer, get baptized, you're going to heaven. Wide gate. It's the wide gate. What does he say? It leads to destruction. This gate is easy to get through. The journey is, is paved, but it's paved to hell. This is one, if not the greatest deception that sin, Satan, death has done. That the self-deception only deepens in a Christian in our lives in which we live in a culture that mirrors this instead of mirroring Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if everyone thinks that if everyone loves us, if, if there are people in our neighborhoods and in our family who don't think that we're weird because of the gospel, I'm not just saying because you're weird. Some of us are just weird. But aren't weird in the way in which we live our lives. Aren't strange in the way that we live our lives because we are so centered on the gospel. If, if we don't have some people out there that don't like us because of the way that we live our lives in the gospel, then we must question the path that we are on. Let us not forget in our belief if that you are really saved, that you are always saved, that we neglect true life and obedience. What is first, the way or the gate? It's the gate. See, what's first in this story is the gate. 
not the way. Jesus is not declaring here that there is some way to work your way to get to the gate. But Jesus is saying, I am the gate. After you step through this narrow gate, then there is a narrow way to live. And the, the marks, as we're going to see over the next several weeks, of, of true Christendom, of those who have stepped through that very narrow gate, is they live a very narrow way. It is the fruit of who they stepped through. It's the fruit of who they know. What's interesting in verse 14 here, Jesus uses the word narrow again. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The word here for narrow is different than the first word used in, or for narrow in verse 13. The word here is used over and over and over throughout the New Testament to literally mean tribulations. So Jesus is saying to get through this gate, this narrow gate, it's agonizing, it is under pressure, it is, it is difficult. And yet once we step through it, it's also a narrow way. That means it's a tribulizing way. It is a persecuted way. There are no express lanes. There are no teleports to heaven. The way to Jesus, the way to the kingdom of God, the way to heaven, to, the way to be with God forever is both exclusive and inclusive. Exclusive meaning it can only happen through Jesus. Exclusive or inclusive meaning this is for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. First gate, then way. Brothers and sisters, is Jesus your treasure? Jesus, you can, you can be upset at me, but it's, it's Jesus' words. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. That leads to life, and those who find it are few. Many of us do not want the hard life. We want Christianity and comfort, and yet that's not Christianity. We want Christendom in our time, Christendom in our talents, Christendom in, in our treasure, and yet this is not Christianity. Saying no to some things in this world is tough, or it is for this guy. And also saying yes to some other things that are God-honoring is tough. And yet Jesus is, is declaring, oh, we need to understand this, that heaven is, yes, going to be filled with God's children. But even based on this passage alone, if we just look at this passage, then it's very clear that there are many more people heading toward destruction and are going to end up in hell than there is in heaven. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I speak to this. I want to encourage you, if you truly are a believer this morning, is this. Find hope and joy in the loneliness of the narrowness. you got to find hope in that, brother. 
Sister, if you're walking narrow, even if, you're, even if your brothers and sisters, your physical DNA, even if your family, even if your friends think that you are strange in the way that you are pursuing holiness, again, you're saved by the gate. But there is a way to walk. And it too is narrow. You don't, again, work your way to the gate, but you are saved through walking by the gate that Jesus in, it gives us the grace and the mercy to even be able to do that. And yet Jesus is even showing grace and mercy to this crowd as they believe that they're heading toward heaven itself. And he declares to them, many of you, the majority of you, if we base Jesus' scripture and we look at the filter of even this gathering of believers, Jesus would determine, if we just look at statistics, that most of the people in this room are not saved. Most of us in this room aren't saved. And the scary thing is that we believe we are. Our churches are filled with people, and according to Jesus, most of them aren't saved. I'm not just talking about your wild, crazy, you know, relative out there. I've got a situation right now that's happening in my family that is grotesque. It's so sinful. It makes me want to get sick at my stomach some things that are happening in my personal family's lives. And yet that's not what Jesus is speaking of here. Jesus is, is speaking of the unbelief of those who are claiming to have much belief. You should be shaking. I should be shaking my, my freaking boots today at the thought of really evaluating this. Am I trying to walk through a broad gate that is about Eric Baker? A, a way that I work my way. It's all based on me and what I do and I get to do whatever I want in this life. Or have I truly walked through that narrow gate and live a life in a narrow way? This is the story of my life. 19 years of my life, I was a goody-goody. I went to church. I knew the books of the Bible. Um, I prayed before meals. I had multiple King James with my name on the front of it. I didn't go to parties. I didn't mess with girls. I didn't look at porn. When I saw it, I thought it was weird and strange. Then I began to think, man, is something wrong with me? Because I think this is weird and strange. All, all of these things, goody-goody. And then when 19, in my dorm room, when Jesus changed my life People within Christendom flipped out when I told them I wasn't a Christian for 19 years. But I come to this understanding, it is narrow. Jesus is not talking simply about, uh, you know, all these different religions and you need to come to him. That's part of it. But the main thing is Jesus is saying to Christians, many of you are lost. Many of us are lost. Many of our churches are lost. Even Billy Graham, if you love Billy, and I love Billy, I've got great respect for the man. He even, I believe it, the quote is somewhere around, if he believes that out of all those millions of people who profess Jesus at his revivals or those big the crusades, that if 5% of them were really Christian, he would be surprised. We want it. We want it our way. We want a life of ease. We want a life of justification. And yet if we have truly walked through the gate that is narrow, there is a narrow way. 
I, I, I'd say that this is not new to me. I have no idea. But when I'm looking at the gospel, I believe that on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is not only telling his people a way to live, but he's about to show all of these people for the next few years how he's going to live this out. What's remarkable about this story, this illustration, this conclusion here, when Jesus is talking about the gate and the way, I think ultimately Jesus is talking about himself. As we get closer and closer to the cross, if you remember your Bibles, the weekend before Jesus would go to the cross on that Friday, it's Palm Sunday. The Bible tells us as Jesus nears Jerusalem, he climbs a upon a donkey, right? And there are masses, groups of people lining the streets. And what are they screaming? Hosanna, which literally translated means saves us now. They're laying out their coats before Jesus. They're, they're taking palm branches, which was traditional for Palm Sunday. Jesus didn't invent Palm Sunday. This is a normal practice. It's believed by, in Judaism. And they're waving palm branches. And, and the Bible tells us like, it's like this narrow, you just kind of get this picture of a, a narrow strip. And it's just lined with people. They're laying down their palm branches. They're taking off their outer coats. And they're laying them for Jesus to ride across on this donkey. And as it says that Jesus gets closer to the city. He's still outside the city, but he, he gets closer to the city. It says that Jesus looks upon Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do for Jerusalem? He weeps. That's God's city. Those are the people who know God. Those are the people that I visited with on top of a mountain and told them about me. And he gets close thousands of years later, and he's weeping over this city who claims to be his city. And they're lost. And as that week goes on, what begins to happen in Jesus' life? He's surrounded by many followers. But as that week and as he gets closer to the cross, that path gets more narrow and more narrow. To the time that he's in the upper room, he's surrounded by 12 dudes, probably a few extra, probably his mom, a few ladies. He washes their feet. They adjourn, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what happens? It gets even more narrow as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is an oil press. As Jesus is crushed inside of that garden, so agonizing, he goes into that garden, he leaves a majority of the disciples toward the gate. As Jesus goes further in, he takes, it gets more narrow with three dudes. Thousands of people are probably listening to this sermon. And yet 24 hours before our Lord and Savior dies upon a cross, it's him and three dudes. And even those dudes can't walk with him as narrow as God's calling him to walk. That they fall asleep. And Jesus gets to what ultimately God requires of us and is so narrow, is so crushing of him that only he can go to the cross. That only Jesus 
can get up on that cross. It was so narrow what God requires of us. And brothers and sisters, I know it gets weary. I know that it gets tiring. I know that it gets painful. I know that it seems easier to want to give up. And it is that vanishing point gets clearer and clearer and more and more narrow as do not forget that Jesus is walking with you. Do not forget that the Holy Spirit is walking with you and know that when it gets to its most narrow of points, only Jesus can walk through it. And he dies. Takes upon the sins of his people, those who are truly saved. He covers their sin with his blood. And he says, it's finished. And he goes to that grave alone. He's resurrected alone to invite us to join with him. I weep this morning at the reality of, of Jesus. But I weep this morning as well at the thought of many of my friends, at the thought of family members, and the thought of being one of your pastors, and the realization that many of us are lost. I encourage you to come to Jesus. Not to your religiosity. But in narrowness. That wide gate is going to become more and more wide. It is going to become much easier to walk through. And again, there are going to be many churches and many preachers and many people who are going to tell you, no, it's, it's okay. Walk this way. And I want you to know it's deception. It is lies. It's from the pit of hell itself. And yet Jesus has called us to stay the course in narrowness. To stay the course with him. Realizing all the while that he is the gate, but he is the way. Let's pray.